Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 14, and then we're going to skip down and go south and jump to verse 23 through 28. Thank you for those of you who are watching online. I pray that this message blesses you. I also want you to just uh, forward and share this um, this sermon. I, I believe it's going to bless a whole lot of people. The Lord has put something significant in my heart. I believe it's going to resonate um, as it relates to the season of our lives that we're finding ourselves in. So thank you for joining us. Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. Um, little lengthy. Uh, I apologize, but I don't at the same time. But it says this. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old. Everybody say 17. 17. He was a boy. He was feeding his flock with his brothers. He was the youngest of the brothers, by the way. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpha, and his father's wives. And Joseph brought bad report of them to his father. He was a tattletale. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a tunic of many colors. It was a coat. But when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all his brothers, they hated him. Everybody say hated him. They hated Joseph and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream, which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood around and bowed down to my sheaf or bundle of wheat is what it really is called. His sheaf was a bundle of wheat. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream. And he told his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the stars, the 11 stars, excuse me, bowed, bowed down to me. So he told this to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I, your brothers, indeed come and bow down to the earth to you? His brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind, and his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said, Here I am. And then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out into the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. I'm going to read a few more verses as I jump down to verse 23. Thank you for bearing with me. Verses 23 through 28. And it says, So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped him of his tunic of many colors. Then he took him and they cast him 
into a pit. Somebody say Joseph was in a pickle. He was cast into a pit and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal and they lifted their eyes and look, behold, there was a company of Ishmaelite traders coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Joseph said to his brothers, what prophet, excuse me, so Judah said to his brothers, what prophet is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let us not, let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened and the Midianite traders passed by so that the brothers pulled up Joseph and lifted him out of the pit and said to the Ishmaelite traders, excuse me, he sold him to the Ishmaelite traders for 20 shekels of silver and they brought Joseph to Egypt. For those of you who do not know the story of Joseph, it is one of my personal favorites. Other than Jesus' life, obviously. But one of my, certainly one of my personal favorites in my top three. It's a story of both triumph and tragedy. It has these valley low moments and then it has these mountain high moments. Sounds like some of our lives. Up one year, down the next. For some of, some of us, uh, it's a little bit more frequent. Up one week, down the next week. Joseph was just a 17-year-old boy when these things were taking place. He was just a kid working for his dad. And as I begin to, to think about this story, um, what this scripture or this text does not reveal is the triumphant part of Joseph's life. Joseph's dreams were not just these prophetic dreams that he had somewhere really far in the future. It was only about 13 years later, Joseph would go from being a poor shepherd boy on the backside of Canaan to being one of the biggest rulers in Egypt. He would be the ambassador to the Pharaoh, the king at that time, and he would rule all the people. Even though he spoke a different dialect, he had to learn their language and he had to learn their culture. But not only were these prophetic dreams, Joseph got promoted as being the prince of Egypt. How many have ever seen the movie called The Prince of Egypt? And so as I begin to think about this, throughout the Bible, there are several different biblical characters that had similar lives to Joseph. Different instances happened, but all of them either started off in some type of difficult situation, and as they embraced that situation and trusted God, God would eventually promote them into a place of power and prestige and influence if they were to embrace that difficult season of their lives. Of course, I think about Joseph, but how can we forget Joseph's father, Jacob, who went through much hardship in his life, and eventually God would bless him, and he would be promoted, and he would become a wealthy shepherd. Let's not forget Abraham, who was called the father of faith. He would be called by God to sacrifice his only son, whom God had promised, talking about a difficult season of life. And if we go on and we talk about Jesus or even Paul, who would spend most of his life hunched over in a prison cell, noting and writing on tablets his life and the letters to the churches. Somebody say difficulty. 
So I believe I'm entering into this series. I want to entitle, first of all, this message called Promises and Pickles. Somebody say promises and pickles. You'll understand what I mean in just a moment. Of course, when I say that word pickles, you begin to think of, you know, that greenish yellow jar that has cucumbers soaking and vinegar. But if you grew up in the 90s like I did, or even before then, you begin to think about uh, those two, uh, two or three people who would get together and play the game called pickle. What they would do is they would put a, a catcher's mitt on and they would have a baseball. There would be one person in the middle. And how many remember the game I'm talking about? And you would take the ball and the guy in the middle had to get tagged with it. And he, or if you, you know, he would be in the middle and throw the ball over if you ran far from him. And it would, you know, does everybody remember how that kind of worked? My wife doesn't know what pickle was. Never heard of pickle. You're going to have to Google it. A really, really fun game, but this was out before, you know, PS4 and PS3 and PS2 when you stayed out in the streets and played until the lights went off. You knew you needed to go home to your parents. We played outside as kids. How many remember that the days before all the video games came out? So this is exactly the kind of game that God was making Joseph play. He has this great calling on his life. He has this dream. He has these two prophetic dreams, dreaming that his parents and his, and his brothers would bow down to him one day and serve him as their leader. And I found out, and I began to think to myself, as I look through the scriptures and I shop through that and I've expounded on the scriptures, there's not one man or woman who has done anything great from God who has not gone through severe famine or difficulty before they were used by God before they found themselves in a pickle that they couldn't get out of. I'm not talking about the thing that you're binding right now, Lord, telling Satan to get behind. There's many times and seasons in my life that I've gone through great difficulty and been binding the devil while all along God has allowed that pickle to happen in my life and that pickle to happen in your life. How many have ever been in a pickle before? And if we're going to get to the promised land in our personal lives we are going to not only have to prepare for the pickles that are going to come, but there are certain attitudes and postures of the heart that we have to have if we are not only going to survive the pickle that we find ourselves in, but if we're going to get to that promised land and be used by God and reach our destined end that God is calling us to reach. And one of those things is you have to have patience when God puts you in a difficult situation. I know that sounds like a curse word, I know we don't talk about patience much anymore because we live in a generation where everybody, when they get a dream from God or they get a vision from God, they want things to happen immediately. They think because God called them as a prophet or God called them as a pastor or God called them as a business owner or is calling them to be married or is calling them to run a big Fortune 500 company just because he told it to you last week doesn't mean that you're going to be promoted next week. Oftentimes, God uses long, long seasons, long drawn out seasons, not to just humble you, but to get you to be patient in the promise. Amen. The story of Joseph, Joseph, excuse me, spans from Genesis 37 to chapter 50, but that spans for almost a hundred years, those 13 chapters. Interestingly enough, it was 13 years from the time that Joseph was thrown into that pit and the time he would serve 
as Pharaoh's ambassador. 13 years. Somebody say 13 years. In other words, it was a long season. This wasn't some short season that God put him in. But God used this long season of difficulty to prepare him, to get him to speak the Egyptian language, to understand the culture, to groom him for greatness. Can I challenge you today to look at your situation, the thing that you're finding yourself in right now, that thing that is annoying you, that, that, that thing that Paul, Paul, excuse me, Paul called a thorn in the flesh that you're wanting God to remove? Could it be that God has allowed that thorn in your life? Could it be that God has allowed this long difficulty season not to kill you, not to get you to be frustrated with him, but to groom you for greatness, to groom you for something that's greater in your future that you could not serve in nor inherit that promise unless you decide to go through that season of pain and frustration and sometimes ostracism and sometimes often separation. Amen? amen? Somebody say amen to that. Amen. And I can't personally, I can't imagine having a dream from God, this amazing dream, and for 13 years, for the next 13 years, being in slavery. Being called as the prince, but he ends up in a pit. Being promised a position of prestige and prominence, and he ends up in a prison. I have a question for you. Have you ever had a promise and a word from God, and not only does that promise not happen immediately, but the exact opposite happens? <laughs> not only did that thing happen, God calls you, you know, I'm going to be married, and the, the next relationship you get into fails. God calls you to run a business, and yet you're stuck working for somebody else. Come on, y'all ain't talking to me. Have you ever been called by God to be used mightily in his kingdom? Maybe he called you as a pastor. Maybe he called you as an evangelist or a prophet, or he called you to do something great in expanding his kingdom, and yet the exact opposite is happening. It seems like you are ostracized from God, like you're being passed over by God, as if God doesn't know that you exist in your life. How many have ever had a word from the Lord and something completely happened? Not only did something not good happen, but difficulty began to happen. You find your yourself in a pit. You find yourself in a really, really tough situation. Come on, a tough marriage. Come on, a, a tough uh, position at work. Come on, a, a, just a tough place mentally. Maybe you're depressed or you're feeling down in your life. I don't know what your pit looks like, but can I tell you that that is God's way of putting you in a pickle to infuse his greatness on the inside of you because he has a purpose and he has a plan for that difficulty and that thing that you're facing right now. Somebody say, have patience. Come on, look at somebody with conviction in your eyes and say, have patience in the pit. I love this scripture in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, and it says this, while the earth remains seed time. Somebody say seed time. Seed time and harvest. Cold and heat and winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. That word just stands out to me called time. Somebody say time. Seed time and harvest. In other words, we would be a fool if we thought if we sowed a tomato seed last night, if we were to expect, we'd be a fool to expect a whole bundle of tomatoes when we walked into our backyard in the morning or wherever that garden was. In other words, good things take time. Great promises 
take time. As a matter of fact, if you get your promise overnight, you're going to have to fight the rest of your life to keep your promise. But when God promises you something, what he does during that time is he helps you build a foundation so that when the winds and the storms come later on, your house won't fall. Your promise won't fall easily. And the enemy can't just come and snatch your promise away from you because it's founded upon God's timing and upon his purpose and upon his promise. Amen? So good things take time. I want you to say that. Good things take time. And you have to have patience and waiting for God's timing. We can't have everything overnight. Amen? I wrote this quote uh, not that long ago, and it says this. One of God's greatest gifts is a waiting room. A gift that allows you adequate time to prepare for your destiny. I know that what you're waiting for right now, that promise that you're waiting on in your life, it feels painful and it's difficult. You might be waiting on a business opportunity. You might be waiting for God to use you in ministry. You might be waiting on your spouse to show up. Come on, Romeo to show up or your, your I don't know, who's somebody handsome out there? I don't know. Justin Bieber. You're waiting on your Justin Bieber or you're waiting. Who, give me somebody else. Who else is out there? Tom Cruise. Richard Pena, but he's taken already. I don't know what it is that you're waiting on, but God will allow this long season of waiting to give you time. Somebody say time to prepare for what it is that he has for you. How many have teens or kids? Yesterday I was driving my, my pickup truck and we parked. We we're at Best Buy. We were going to purchase some electronics, my son and I, and he pops out of his seatbelt, my eight-year-old son, Cohen, and he leans over the seat, you know, real fast, like fast enough to scare you. Your kids ever do that? Do you like just being abrupt? He unbuckles himself and slings himself around the seat. It's like, daddy, can I drive? And I'm like, oh, he scared, he scared me. And um, I said, no, son, you, you, you can't drive right now. You know, once in a while, I'll let him, right when we get in the neighborhood, don't tell the police on me. I'll let him sit on my lap and just drive for just a very, very short time. And um, I began to think to myself that one day you will drive, and one, one day this truck or another truck will be a blessing to you. But right now, it'll be a curse. It will be very harmful for you. And so I said, son, you, you have to learn to drive first as you grow up, you know, when you get your learner's permit and all of that good stuff. And I begin to think how this parallels spiritually to our lives. Now, we may not be like Cohen slinging ourselves around the seat and scaring your dad or your mom, but maybe you're in God's face right now asking him for something that you're not ready for. Maybe you're asking him for something that will end up hurting you, your future, and your family. And God's favor to you is seed, time, then harvest. And that time, what it does is it gives you time to mature in the things of God. It gives you time to mature. Listen, you know what I found out? You know, there's, there's people who work for me in my company, and when they come up to me and they're very hungry for a lead position, do you know when they're very aggressive about it? They're usually people I do not promote because people who are too hungry for certain things end up failing at it. And people who are too hungry for things, they end up destroying what God wants to do. 
You need time. There's times of waiting, times where you need to have some patience, where God begins to work on you, work on your character, so that because God's ultimate will is not to, to necessarily just bless you with what it is that you want. He will definitely do that. But can I tell you his ultimate goal for you in your life? Are you listening? To be conformed into the image of God's Son. He wants you to grow in character, in your conduct, in your conversations, so that you walk like Jesus, so that you look like Jesus, so that when you are promoted and God puts you in the position of prestige and power, you won't manipulate people, you won't have to fight to keep yourself there, you will be a blessing to the people that you serve over and won't be a burden. Come on, somebody say amen. So this time that God allows you and puts you apart and makes you wait, it's for your ultimate benefit. That's why I'm making Cohen wait, obviously, so, so he can grow and so he can mature and so that he doesn't make a mistake. Because if I were to let him drive, what he would do now is cause a wreck. And if God were to bless you too soon, oftentimes what we do when he blesses us with that amazing promise, we cause a wreck. And God loves you so much that he will make you wait. He will make you wait and wait and wait until you are ready to enter into the promise, but he will use the pickle to give you patience. Look at somebody and say, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Number two, he uses the pickle. Somebody say the pickle to process you. My friend, uh, Benjamin and Rebecca, they're very good friends of mine. I love them dearly. I text them the other day and I text them a word in Dutch that I thought they would be familiar with. And they still don't know what it is. I said, I'll tell you later. I didn't want to give my, because they're, they're, they're from, um, excuse me, the Netherlands, and they speak Dutch. And they said, I'm sorry, I don't know what that word is. I was hoping it wasn't a bad word. Well, this word that I was texting you guys, uh, it was supposed to mean pickle, like pickled. And I found out the word pickle, actually how pickling, does anybody know what pickling is? I'm not talking about pickling, pickle the game. I'm talking about pickling like, uh, you know, tomatoes or um, cucumbers being converted into, you know, a pickle. So pickling came from the Dutch culture. And so I didn't know that. Actually, it was established in 1707, but they didn't call it pickling. They called it a salty sauce. A salty sauce for, for years. I think for 100 years, they begin to call it the salty sauce. And so what, what I found out is that God often uses difficult situations to infuse us with flavor. He will use our pickle. He'll use our pit like he used in, in Joseph's life. And he will leave us in that dark season of life, not to make us worse, not to come out with a bad attitude. Oftentimes, we come out with bad attitudes. That's how you know someone comes out of a season and didn't get... Did, excuse me, didn't get what God intended them to get. If you're going to go through a season of difficulty, don't come out sour. Come on, extract everything that you can in the difficult season that you're facing in your life and come out flavored with God's glory. Come out more patient. Come out more Christ-like. Come out more on fire for the things of God. So what I found out is that this Dutch culture came out with this, this pickling agent to not to make food taste worse, but to make it taste better. And I believe that God came out with creating pickles and pits in our own lives, prisons and pits, whatever form and fashion. That might be a marriage 
That might be a job for you. That might be a mental thing that you might be going through. That might be some depression that you're going through. I'm not saying that he causes it, but he will allow that to pickle you and make you better and be infused with his flavoring so that people, when they encounter you, listen, they encounter Jesus. What's that scripture say? Taste and see. Come on, taste and see that the Lord is good. What are people tasting when they get around you? Are they tasting bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness? Are you backbiting in front of them? Or, or when they come around you, can they tell that the things that God has used in your life to pickle you and to infuse you with his flavor, are they tasting God's goodness? Are they tasting his patience? Are they seeing his character? Are they seeing your nature and the way that you talk about other people? Come on, we talk about some of the little hidden sins like pornography and people sleeping around and people doing this and that and lottie-dottie and smoking and doing all these things. What about the sin of the heart? What about the sin of the mouth? Come on. Look at somebody and say, get pickled. Get pickled. My wife picks on me. When we first got married, she didn't know that um, I had corks. How many got corks in the room? I have a few corks. Look at nobody raise their hand. I know y'all have corks. Quarks? Quarks. Quarks is a like quirky. You have a little thing about you that you know nobody knows. Like, like she she grabs her. Uh, I'm gonna tell on her right now. Look at her laughing. I'm gonna tell on her. So she has. Do you know the stitching on your shirt? If you watch her long enough when she's not holding Zoe, one hand will be kind of hidden and on her stitching, on her clothing, and she just rubs the stitching. It's the weirdest thing you've ever seen. Well, one of my corks is I grew up with my dad drinking pickle juice. Isn't that weird? Has anybody ever had pickle juice before? No pickle juice drinkers in here? No? Look, see, I'm not the only quirky one. And so what I thought, my, my wife caught me doing that. Now, it was empty, okay? So she caught me drinking. And she's like, what in the world are you doing? I said, Drink, I'm drinking the pickle juice. It's like good. It's like if you're, it's minerals and, you know, it's vinegar. It's good. Flushes out the system. Look, I got people shaking their head yes at me. And so I started thinking to myself that most people don't like pickle juice. Like you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird because you don't like it. It's okay. I started thinking to myself that pickle juice in of itself tastes bad to most people. But if you are to infuse pickle juice with the right foods, it becomes great. Or if you think about seasonings when it comes to steak, like if you eat a cucumber in of itself, I mean, how many really like the taste of a cucumber? I mean, I like it on my salad, but I like it for health reasons. But I mean, it doesn't even taste like anything. Really, it has no real taste. But when it's dropped in pickle juice for long enough, what it begins to take on is another flavor. And so what God does is he'll draw, drop you in a certain pit or a dark season of your life. I like to call the pickle jar. Somebody say the pickle jar. And he will leave you in there long enough to absorb the elements that are around you. Not to kill you, not to make you taste worse, but to make you taste better. Somebody say better. And this goes with steak. The longer that you allow steak to marinate, the better it tastes. Has anybody ever heard that scripture, well done, good and faithful servant, when Jesus said, enter into the joy of the Lord? You know what I think? I think God like had cooking in mind because oftentimes in my life, when I've gone through seasons in my life where I'm just still too rare, 
I still have a bad attitude. Have you ever gone through seasons of your life over and over and over, and it's like this repetitive thing that you keep going through? It's because God will drop you in that thing continually until he pulls you out and says, hmm, well done. And he will continue to put you in that season or that oven until you get the thing right. Have you ever come to a place in your life where you're like, why am I going through this again? It's be, oftentimes, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but oftentimes it's because you didn't pass the test the first time or seven or 10 or 20. Amen. How many have ever been there? Don't, you don't have to wave at me. I know I've been there several times, but God will drop you in there because he wants to infuse the seasonings from heaven to make you taste better to a society that needs his flavoring. Amen. And if you think about it, you're like, well, where's that scripture at? Well, obviously I just noted Joseph, but I want, I even begin to, the Lord began to illuminate my mind to the fact that even Adam was marinated. He took Adam and he marinated him from the dust of the ground, something that tastes bitter. Pickle juice tastes bitter. I'm sure so does dirt. I mean, I wouldn't know maybe when I was two or three, maybe I'm sure. I don't know if your kids are like my kids. They had a mouthful of dirt. Dirt is very, very bitter. But when it, when it infused Adam, what it did to Adam is it marinated Adam and God formed something beautiful out of the bitter. And he took Moses and put him on the backside of the Midian desert for how many years? For 40 years out there before he was flavored enough to lead God's people out of slavery. Talking about a long time. He took Joseph and dropped him into that pickle juice jar that I told you about called a pit in a prison until he was ready to lead the Egyptian nation through one of the greatest famines it would ever see. And God will drop you in whatever situation necessary to groom you for greatness, to strengthen you, to, to manifest his glory and his power in your life. What am I saying? What am I trying to say? Why am I sounding so repetitive? All I'm saying is that God makes promises without telling you about the pickle that he's going to use to, in the process to get you to your promise. Amen? And as I said before, God is more concerned about preparing you for the promise than he is promoting you. Should I say that again? God is more concerned about processing you than he is promoting you. And when you are processed long enough, then God will promote you. So do not resist the pickle because if you resist the pickle, you will ultimately forfeit the promise of God in your life. Look at somebody and say, don't forfeit the promise. But if you embrace that thing that God has put you in, if you embrace it, it will hasten. Hasten means to speed it up. It will hasten you towards the promises of God in your life. You know what I found out? I found out that mo the only thing, what most people master in the pit, can I just be honest? what I have seen and what I've experienced even in my own personal life, to be quite frank, because I used to be really hard-headed with the Lord and refuse the pickles that he'd allowed me in or the pits or the prisons or the difficult seasons of my life. I resisted them. And the only thing that I mastered most of the time is get myself out of there faster and faster each time. Most people only master getting out of it. They don't master allowing that season of their lives to groom them and to shape them into the image of God's son. Can I encourage you today, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever that pickle looks like, it might be trusting God. 
It might be a difficult, Lord, I've never had to trust you like this. It might be, it might be marital. It might be relational. It might be in a job. It might be a, a pickle that you're finding yourself with. Uh, you're finding a, uh, you know, some quarreling going on between you and another family member. I don't know what your pickle is. But can I challenge you? Do not resist it. Embrace it. And allow God to use that thing to promote you, to hasten you towards his promise for your life. Number three. Is this good, guys? Number three. You have to have perspective in the pickle. Somebody say perspective. Thirteen years this man trusted God because he had perspective. He held on to that dream. In order to maintain perspective, can I give you a few keys? Remind yourself on what it is that God said to you in the light so that you have something to hold on to in the dark. Did you just hear what I said? Remind yourself on what it is that God promised you in the light. So when you're in that dark season and there is no light, you don't see any hope, you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, you have something to hold on to. And when you, when you hold on to something, it gives you perspective. It gives you hope to hold on until the very waking end. 13 years. Can I tell you the way I've survived the seasons of my life? And this may not be completely biblical. I have to say, first and foremost, but it has helped me survive and thrive in my relationship with the Lord. Does anybody want to know? Every single thing that has happened in my life, I have looked to at it as being the hand of God. Difficult or not. And some really ugly things. Some really hard things that you know that God would never have anything to do with. And, and I'll tell you why. Because if he didn't cause it, he allowed it. And here's why I look at it that way. It's because once I begin to think that God is no longer in control, I stop relying on him and I stop having faith in him. I stop having faith in the fact that he can still work out all, some, all things together for the good of them who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So anything that's happened in my life, it doesn't matter. You look at it as being the hand of God shaping you and molding you. It doesn't matter. It can be a divorce. It could be something happened to your child. It, it could be some kind of difficulty or hardship or pain that's happening. It could be a sickness. doesn't matter what it is. It could be cancer. God doesn't cause cancer. But guess what? You remember when the man was sick in his, uh, sick in his body, his legs, he couldn't move his legs in the Bible. And he says he was there for 30 years. And Jesus said, do you want to be made well? There was a blind man that, that, that couldn't see, and, and, and the disciples went to Jesus and said, who sinned that this man was born blind? They automatically thought it was sin, and guess what Jesus said? It was for the glory of God that this man was blind so that my power could be revealed in him. In other words, God didn't cause the sickness, but he used the sickness. So God didn't cause the, all the difficulties that you're facing. He didn't cause whatever it is that maybe, ha maybe happened to you in your past, but he will use it for your good in his glory every time without exception because he's a good God. But if you don't look at it in that light, what happens is, is we begin to grow bitter and we begin to grow fearful that God will work out all things together for our good. In his glory. Somebody say, work it for my good, Lord. It is critical that you have God's perspective and see from God's perspective when you're in your pickle or you're in your pit. I like to say, 
a pastor that I came out from under, he, he says, seeing in the spirit, he says, you have to see it in the spirit. And, and what, he, what he simply means is, and that's the kind of language I grew up with, walk in the spirit. You have to see things in the spirit. In other words, see it from God's perspective. See, and listen, what it does when you see things from God's perspective, it gives you peace in the pit. Do you see that? It gives you peace knowing that God is actually working on something. Even though it doesn't seem like he's working, even though it doesn't seem like he's speaking, he's speaking through the difficulty. He's shaping. And listen, I'm I'm a painter by trade. I've been a painter for almost 20 years, paint homes and all this kind of stuff. And one thing I don't like is when people try to talk to me when I'm in the middle of something. When God is silent in your life and you're in a difficult season, know that he's not speaking because you don't need instruction. He's just simply working on you. He doesn't want to be interrupted. He's working on you. And when you have that kind of perspective, it gives you peace in the middle of the storm. He doesn't need to speak to you. He's speaking through the process. And what we need to have is perspective while we're in the pit. Can I tell you this quick story? It's a really quick story. I didn't even intend it. It's not even in my notes, but it just, I believe the Holy Spirit just reminded me of it. There is a prophetic voice um, in the church. He's very, he's, he's pretty well known. His name is Graham Cook. He's an amazing man. If you YouTube him, he, his, you could just put on his instrumental and his uh, intercession and his worship and just fall asleep to it. It's amazing. Well, early in his early days, he was a, a um, hope high profile uh, prophet uh, to the nations. And um, when his ministry was really getting off of the ground, um, it was causing a lot of stir among the church. People were questioning whether his methodology and his theology was correct or erroneous. And so what happened is for the next several months, there was a few men who would come in there who had a pad and a paper, and they were printing a lot of negative things in the paper and causing people to leave. Like they were causing protests. They were causing all these different things. But what they would do is they would come and sit on the first or second row. And so he knew who they were. And Graham Cook began to get really, really upset at them. And um, the short story is, is that Graham Cook even admits to praying that they would die. They would die of sickness. They're, they're interrupting my ministry and they're hindering the work of the Lord. It sounded kind of godly, right? But it wasn't so godly. So what happens if this happens for several, several months? And then Graham Cook has a dream. And in this dream, there's this big piece of granite, a big square, And there's these three artisans that are on the backside of this piece of granite, big slab, hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And he's on God's lap and he's seeing these few people who he can't identify because they're behind the block. He can't identify them, but Graham Cook is sitting on Jesus's lap. And Jesus proceeds to tell him, I'm making something and I want to show it to you. And he said, but if you want to hasten it or you want to speed up the process, Graham, you should cheer him on. And Graham begins to shout out to them, you're doing a wonderful job. Keep going. It's going to turn out great. You guys are awesome. And these guys, these artisans begin to speed up and they begin to make something out of this block. Short story is, is when these artisans were done, they presented it to him. And he was amazed by this sculpture that was just beautiful. And it looked like Graham cooked just a better version of him. And then God says to Graham Cook, would you like me to introduce these artisans to you? And he said, yes. Well, behind this 
piece of art, this sculpture, comes the three men, three men that were destroying his ministry. And he said, I used the three men that you thought were killing you and destroying your ministry to shape you and to make you into something better than you are. God will often use your enemies to shape you and to develop you and to develop Christ-like character in you. Oh, where's that scripture preacher? Think about, think about Judith. Do you remember that Jesus actually ordained Judas to be his crucifier? Why? If he had not used his enemy to get him to the cross, there would have never been forgiveness of sins. So never discount the artisans that God promotes in your life to shape you into who he's called you to be. Thank him for them. Thank him for them. And even cheer them on until what the scripture says, until he makes your enemies your footstool. Amen? Is that good? And I have a few examples before I close in just a few minutes. Examples of God giving Joseph perspective. Everybody say perspective. When he served in Potiphar's house, God was testing him to see if he would be faithful over another man's house before he would be trusted to reign over a region. Did you hear what I said? So before God gives you your own thing, he'll see if you're faithful over somebody else's thing. What do I mean? Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's house. Joseph had to do what everybody else told him to do. He didn't get to run his own ministry. He didn't get to run his own thing or balance his own checkbook. He had to run somebody else's thing. And so God will stick you in a pit and make you serve another man or another woman's dream. And if you're faithful over it, God will give you your own. Do you see that? He had perspective. When Joseph was in slavery, the Lord was showing him that great people are the ones who serve, not the ones who are being served. And so God made him a slave. And when he was in prison, running the jail cell, how many know Joseph went to jail and had to serve years and years in a jail? And he was, the, he was the keeper of the prison, the Bible says. When he was running that prison, God was humbling him to ensure him that he would never stick his nose up to people he would one day serve. Even the ones who made mistakes. Number four, and I close with this. You have to persevere in the pickle. Somebody say persevere. Somebody say fight. Think of all the hardships. Think of all the pickles that Joseph went through in order to reach the promises of God in his life. Hated by his brothers, thrown into the pit, sold into slavery, accused wrongly by Potiphar's wife. She said she, she, he was trying to sleep with her when in fact it was the opposite. And when Joseph said, I could never sin against God like this, Joseph goes to prison and has to spend years in prison and then two men come into prison that serve with the king and he interprets those two men's dreams all in an attempt to get himself out of prison and you know what happens after those men get out of prison and, and we're going to tell the pharaoh that Joseph interprets dreams in order to get him out guess what the bible says they forgot about Joseph they forgot him have you ever done what God has called you to do and still been overlooked be faithful in the pit. Persevere in the pit. And if you're going to reach the promises that lay beyond your pickle that you're facing right now, you have to defy the urge to quit. Don't quit that business. Don't quit that marriage. Don't quit going to school. 
Don't quit whatever financial difficulty it is that you're going to through. Don't quit your dreams of serving God in the ministry. Because if you embrace the pickle, you will inherit the promise. Everybody stand to your feet. I love this scripture in Hebrews 10, verse 35. I read this and I close. And it says this, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. You need endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.